It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us that way, you certainly can. A lot of stuff going on this weekend, everybody. Uh, roster moves. We had practice in Newark. We had another practice today. So there's a lot to discuss before we open up the phone lines again at 201-939-4513. Lance Meadow, how are you doing today, sir? I am doing very well. Busy as always. How are things with you? Everything is well. So I guess we can start with the roster moves here, Lance. Uh, a few things to touch on. Uh, the most recent one will, I guess, be the one we start with. Jonathan Harrison off that pup list. He's going to be able to return to practice, which is interesting. And well, I guess we'll combine these two into one because over the weekend, the Giants coming to terms on a contract with former Cowboys center slash guard Joe Looney. Obviously, a lot of experience with Jason Garrett from his time in Dallas. He was with Dallas last year, lost that backup center slash starting center job over the course of the year. But it's just another guy with a lot of starting experience on the interior that can provide some depth. And now he will compete with the likes of Jonathan Harrison, some of those other younger guys like, uh, you know, uh, Brett Heggie, who can play center and compete at those spots on the interior part of the offensive line. You can never have enough at any given position in the NFL. I think every team can attest to that. I think Looney's a very solid pickup. You mentioned his familiarity with Jason Garrett. We're not talking a season or two. We're talking about 2016 to 19. So he was somebody that has been involved in this Cowboys offense that Gary carried over to the New York Giants for five seasons. And also, he was the main starter in 2018 when Travis Frederick, unfortunately, had to deal with the autoimmune disease. And then, as you referenced last season, he started off as the guy and then was a bit in and out of the lineup as they were incorporating some youth. They also had a lot of injuries on the offensive line. And He's got experience at both guard spots from his days with Tennessee before he went to Dallas. So you're talking about somebody that if he was to win a job on the 53-man roster, John, he's somebody that could play center, and you could utilize him at right guard and left guard. And he's a polished veteran who knows this scheme, has had some exposure to not just Jason Garrett, but remember, a few other coaches on the staff were with him in Dallas too. So to be able to bring in a guy like this at the beginning of training camp, have him compete with some of the young guys, get him to push some of those young guys, I think is a very solid move. And we don't know what this offensive line is going to be all about. Remember, you know, that's the thing hovering over training camp right now. A lot of young guys trying to build chemistry, get a feel for one another. But as we get into the preseason games, I think they're going to mix and match. They're going to throw these guys into various positions and see who's most comfortable. But remember, when you carry eight offensive linemen or nine offensive linemen, you're two to three backups. They can't just be a center or a left guard. They have to be somebody that can play multiple positions. And Looney falls right under that umbrella. And you've heard Joe Judge preach about that constantly. Yeah, no question about it. So that's something to keep an eye on here as that competition, you know, really for those backup offensive line spots continue. But also, who knows? You know, at guard, I think those starting spots are still very much up for grabs at Lance. I think both of us would be surprised if Nick Gates is not the starting center. We'll see what happens at those two guard spots. Shane Lemieux still not back at practice coming back from that injury. Will Hernandez has been working at right guard. Um, he talked about that to the media last week. And... 
Just one other note at those positions, Zach Fulton, Dan Duggan reporting from practice today, uh, was getting some work over at left guard. Kenny Wiggins had been there previously. Yeah. So that that's another guy that is getting some extra work in there as the Giants just try to create even more competition on the offensive line as they try to figure it out. It's just funny. We were at that Newark practice on Saturday night. And it was pretty much a walkthrough. Nothing really happened. That's why I had no practice notes. Today's practice was really not a whole lot of full speed stuff for me to give you a full set of practice notes on either. So just FYI, you're probably not going to see those today. Just a whole not a whole lot going on. But it was funny. I was watching offensive line drills. They happen to be right in front of that area where they put us to watch practice. And I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, wow. Talk about all eyes being on a position group, right? You had Sale. Flaherty, Wilkinson, the three kind of offensive line coach. You had Freddie Kitchens over there, and you also had Dave Gettleman and Kevin Abrams over there all watching the offensive linemen just doing drills without pads and not full speed or hitting all together. So needless to say, it's a big focus of this training camp to making sure that they have what they need at that position to move forward here so the offense can operate at a level that they're happy with. It's a huge element in play. It's combined with Daniel Jones getting back to his rookie form, and also taking the next step. And both of those factors are going to help one another. The offensive line is going to help Daniel Jones, and Daniel Jones is going to help the offensive line, John, based on his decision-making. So they're really intertwined. That's why it's no surprise that the focus of the coaching staff in the front office is, hey, what do we have in this group? I also don't think it's any coincidence that you're seeing a nice mixture of some young guys with potential. For example, the three starters potentially as part of last year's draft class. Brett Heggie is a name that I brought up. Remember, I utilized him in our bold prediction segment. So I think he's a name to watch out for. But then on the other side, you know, they went out and got Zach Fulton. They brought in Jonathan Harrison. They now just added Joe Looney. And Kenny Wiggins, by the way, was somebody that had previously been on the Giants practice squad. And he also has moved around between the Chargers and the Lions. So the purpose is when they get into the preseason games, the coaching staff, as I go back to my initial statement, they're going to have an opportunity to have a various amount of combinations. They can move these guys around. They could see what a guy could do at center, what a guy could do at the various guard spots. Maybe they want to experiment a little bit with tackle and see, hey, you know, if this guy makes the roster, John, do we have confidence that if we needed to kick him outside, we'd feel just as good of that as we would in terms of lining him up on the interior? You need to answer all of those questions because – you want to feel good that, God forbid, you lose a player. For example, the Will Hernandez situation last year. Nobody went into a season thinking one of our players is going to catch COVID and he's going to miss X amount of weeks. But you know what? Hey, the Giants were caught in that circumstance. So that was an opportunity for Shane Lemieux to fully showcase to the coaching staff that he could handle being in the mix as a starter. And now he's trying to position himself to solidify the left guard job. So, you know, they're going to have the preseason games this year to get a little bit better feel of what they're working with. Remember, they didn't have that. So that's why Shane Lemieux's circumstances last year, if you go back in time, it was very much baptism by fire. Okay, let's throw the rookie into the mix. We didn't see what he could do in preseason. We only saw him in practice. I think this is going to give the Giants coaching staff a much better feel because of the three preseason games. And I should mention the joint practices with the Patriots and the Browns. I think that will at least give them an idea of, all right, well, what can he do against the guy that he's not going up against in practice every day? Because the one thing that I'm cautious about, John, with respect to practices, when you're going up against your own teammates, I do think players pick up on tendencies of teammates, especially when you're going up against a them thousand, consistently. And by, the right? way, not, and by the way, not just individuals. I mean, eventually, 
you know, the offense and defense, you're not running a different scheme every practice. Eventually, you just yeah. you just know what the other group's trying to do based on scheme. So that, to me, is saying to a player, okay, the familiarity factor is going to work in your benefit yeah. by maybe six or seven days right into training camp. But you don't have that luxury. When you get into the third quarter, John, and you're going up against a team where you've just seen film— you're not going to have the luxury of saying, oh, I went up against this guy for the last four or five days. So yep. I think that's why the joint practices, and most important, I was always put the preseason games ahead of that, but I do think you want to expose some of these guys to players they haven't gone up against to truly see whether or not those fundamentals can carry over. 100%. One other roster move over the weekend, Lance, and we'll touch on some of the practice stuff from today. I was out there, and I was out there on Saturday as well. The Giants announced they've re-signed running back Alfred Morris. Paul Dettino's guy is back. And again, that just adds another body to what should be a pretty robust running back competition behind Saquon Barkley. And I guess I'll say also behind Devontae Booker, I'd be surprised, Lance, at this point, if he wasn't the the primary backup. But who's that third guy going to be? Do you carry in an exclusively third running back but doesn't play another position on the roster? Is it Corey Clement? Uh, Clement. Is it Gary Brightwell? Is it... Alfred Morris, who's now back. Or maybe they just say, well, Eli Penny can be our third running back and be our fullback. So, <clears throat> pardon me, there's a lot of different ways they can go with that third running back spot. And Alfred Morris just adds another body in there to, to, to try to do it. It's another one of, again, it's one of Garrett's guys, right? He loved him in Dallas, just yep. like he loved Joe Looney. And now he's going to be here with the Giants once again, or at least so far in camp. We'll see if he can make the 53. Well, and that's the nature of the beast when it comes to the NFL. And when even the Giants have had previous coaching staffs, you've seen them sometimes bring in players that they have a previous relationship about. I've said this many times. The NFL is about relationships. So you could say life is about relationships, too. It's not necessarily always the individual that's that has profound, the best opportunity. Lance. very yeah. profound. It's about whether or not you have a established rapport with this individual, with this coach, player, whatever it means and whether or not you can catch on quickly. So a guy like Alfred Morris, the benefit for him is forget so much the connection to Jason Garrett. The guy was here last season. So, you know, he knows how the Giants operate. He was somebody that received some playing time in the second half of the season mainly after he was on the practice squad. And here's the other thing to not overlook, John. Alfred Morris is eligible for the practice squad, just like he was last year. So, you know, part of the rationale in bringing him in also could be with them thinking about well, who, after we finalize our 53-man roster, could we keep as part of the 16-man practice squad? I'm sure they're at least entertaining that. And, you know, not to get completely off topic, but remember, vaccinated players versus unvaccinated players, that's going to come into play too. So if you have a veteran and you know you can have X amount of spots on your practice squad where they've had more than two accrued seasons, which is extremely beneficial— I wouldn't be surprised if Morris doesn't make the team. I would think that he would get a shot to go back to the practice squad, and then in the event there's an injury, they'll call him back up like they did last season. So you have to keep that in the back of your mind when you're looking at some of these roster moves. For example, a guy like Joe Looney, he would also be eligible for the practice squad. They've got a lot more flexibility to toy with compared to what we saw before COVID in 2019, let's say. Yeah, and one of the roster moves, I don't believe we talked about it on last week's show. I think it came out after the Friday show. 
But Todd Davis, Lance, a linebacker. The Giants have been a little bit short on the interior at the linebacker position. Reggie Ragland hasn't been out there. Blake Martinez, you know, have talked has been talked about coming off that COVID list. He's not going full yet. So they bring in a guy like Todd Davis, who's played in 96 games, 69 starts for the Saints, Broncos, and Vikings. He's more of a downhill, run-stopping type of inside linebacker, which is kind of exactly what they wanted Reggie Ragland to be or when they brought him in. So just another roster move as the Giants try to once again, I don't want to you know belabor this point, but they're trying to get bodies in here that they can have some confidence in to you know successfully uh, play a certain role in their defense and offense in terms of what they're trying to do. So he will give some more insurance at a spot where next to Blake Martinez, aside from Tay Crowder, who got a lot of work last year, Lance, there are a lot of unknowns at that inside linebacker spot. Well, and then you have Carter Coughlin getting adjusted to a role inside, and he's a young guy that was a rookie last year. So I think they just want to gain a little bit more experience in that position group. And you brought up Reggie Ragland. Remember, some of these guys have been limited because of injuries they've been dealing with. Ryan Anderson, for example. I know he's a little bit different of a position, but you know, there's another veteran that's been a little bit banged up. So if you haven't had these guys who you brought in who you initially thought would give you the experience there. So surprised that they went in a different direction. And you know, as you mentioned, Davis has been with a number of teams. He also has several Giants connections, by the way. Remember, he was in Minnesota last year before he's with Denver. So he's with Fadio Denebo and Kyle Rudolph. And then when he was with Denver, he's with Devontae Booker. He was with Isaac Yadam. So he's got a lot of connections to players in the locker room, which is good for a guy just joining the team. You at least have some familiarity and maybe some players that can assist you getting used to a scheme on the fly when this team has already been together for the majority of the spring. Yeah, no question about it. All right, let's talk about practice here, Lance. I mentioned the practice on Saturday. Nothing to report. The guys were in T-shirts and shorts. It was very much a be-there-for-the-fans walk-through type of deal. So really nothing much to report from there that I thought was really of any interest. Today was more of a real practice. Again, mostly red zone work, though I did see the first couple passes that traveled more than 30 yards in the air, which was exciting. It was a windy day. They did not connect. But they actually were passes down the field for the first time. And Joe Judge did say they start, and we talked about this last week, starts his camp with a lot of red zone work because he doesn't want guys really opening up early in camp and perhaps having soft tissue injuries because of stuff like that. So I thought that was interesting. You saw, um, I thought Gary Brightwell maybe got a few more reps than he's been getting. I mentioned the Zach Fulton stuff. Evan Ingram made a nice catch on a pass thrown behind them where you kind of had to spin to grab the throw. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, David Sills caught a touchdown pass on a slant. Adoree Jackson knocked the ball away from Kenny Galladay on a slant in the back of the end zone. But still, just not a whole lot of stuff going on. But that ends tomorrow because the pads are coming on. And we're actually, Lance, going to have something that looks like a facsimile in my mind. And the reason they went easy today is so they can go very hard on Tuesday and Wednesday with two fully padded practices, the first of summer. And we're finally going to see something that looks a little bit like real football. Yeah, and that's usually how training camp is built in previous years. They're not going to throw these guys all of a sudden into pads immediately. Because remember, they broke from the spring. They had a number of weeks off. Everybody's at a different level. And you're also bringing in some veterans. For example, Joe Looney, when he spoke to the media today, and he had mentioned that he had to run a lap because he messed up on a snap. He said, listen, this is the first time I'm playing competitive football in months. Because remember, he was let go from the Dallas Cowboys. He was a free agent. They didn't bring him back. So, you know, you don't want all of a sudden, even the established veterans, you don't want to put the pads on immediately. You want them to warm up to that. And Joe Judge has been emphasizing that. It's the same thing, for example, with Kadarius Toney, 
who started off on PUP and, excuse me, had the COVID-related issues, and when they brought him off of the COVID list, they said, hey, we're progressively going to work up to the point where we get him more involved in practice, similar to the same thing that's going to happen with Saquon Barkley. When he's ready to return to practice, not just going to all of a sudden throw Saquon into the mix, it'll be a slow buildup. So this is the natural progression of training camp. It is an exciting time because I think practices in pads tell us a little bit more. But remember, at the end of the day, the preseason games, I think, are going to be the much better indicator when they're actually going up against personnel they're not used to. I'm more excited about that than any other facet of what's going to happen during the course of camp. Absolutely, and that comes in about two weeks. August 14th. So that's coming it's right after that first preseason game against the Jets, and then they head off to Cleveland first practice on that Thursday. So I guess 17 days away, right, give or take, for that first practice in Cleveland. And then a little less than that for, obviously, that that first preseason game. That's a little bit under two weeks. So just something to keep in mind here as we move forward. One other thing at practice today, Lance, and this was talked about at media sessions, so uh, we can discuss it. The entire defense pretty much had to run a lap, including the coaches at one point during practice today. It looked like there was a substitution personnel issue in which no one was uh, able to abstain from. So... The whole defense, including the coaches, did a quick jaunt across the practice field or around the practice field uh, during practice today. So I thought that was a little funny. Anything that jumped out from media sessions from you today, Lance? Nothing really from Joe Looney hit for me. You know, the basic stuff. Oh, Jason Garrett, you know, he had to run a little bit of a lap today. He says, oh, that was something different, uh, but not a big deal. Tay Crowder didn't give us a whole lot. Uh, I didn't think Ojolari gave us a whole lot, and Darius Slayton, aside from saying that, you know, going against Bradbury and Adore Jackson is fun because they're kind of different style players. I didn't, I didn't, nothing jumped out to me from those four guys. Did anything jump out to you? Nothing in particular. You mentioned what Darius Slayton had to say. Kenny Galladay, actually, I would say, echoed similar sentiments yep. in terms of you know, being tested against those two different corners because of their physique and their styles. I think the main theme that I took away from Crowder and Ojolari, and maybe more so from Crowder than Ojolari, is you know, Crowder is now a guy in the room that's helping groom the young guys. Life comes at you fast in the National Football League. You go from the kid that is being a sponge last season and now Crowder because we talked about all the injuries and the movable parts within that linebacker position. Now, you know, outside of Blake Martinez, Crowder is trying to help a guy like Ojolari come along. Now, also there's that Georgia connection too, which I'm sure helps, but Carter Coughlin, he spoke about making the transition. And, you know, these guys, they're animated. They're motivated, but sometimes they also need to know when to hit the stop button. You can't go 100% every time, and I think that was something that Crowder was indicating. So it's kind of interesting how the young guys from last year sort of growing up fast to help mentor the group that just came in, how those dynamics play out will be interesting to monitor. 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. As we got going here on Big Blue Kickoff Live on this Monday afternoon right here on Giants.com. Slash Big Blue Kickoff, and of course on the Giants mobile app. We'll take your calls coming up here, or you can hit us on Twitter at hashtag Giants Chat. A lot of ways to get in touch with us as we move forward here on Monday's show. But first, a reminder. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets 
for more information. All right, let's go to the phones. Lance, unless there's something else out there that happened over the weekend that you want to get to? No, let's rock and roll. The only thing I was going to say is if you do want to just real quickly go over some NFL news, Carson Wentz, it was oh, announced, yep. Good idea. is going to have surgery. I know that doesn't necessarily directly impact the Giants because he's no longer in the division, but he is going to elect to get surgery. And the timeline's quite interesting because it's from five to 12 weeks, which <laughs> is a pretty lengthy <laughs> timeline. At some point in the next one to three months, we'll see him. Yeah, I mean, not, not to get too specific or anything. Yeah, they're really leaving the door open in that gray area. I guess no doctor wants to be wrong, and I'd find it hard to believe that a doctor will be wrong with that type of timeline. Well, and but- by the way, that's the thing. Like, five weeks is, like, opening day. So, like, sure. there's not yeah. – like, he could be there opening day. If it's 12 weeks, you're talking about the end of October. So it's either Crazy. no games or eight games. Take your pick. Yeah, it's real wild. I will say this, though. I do like the decision to undergo surgery. When I heard, I don't know if you were monitoring the reports, John, but there was talk about he was going to rehab. They were going to see how the next few days play out. And the one thing that came to my mind was the Michael Thomas situation with the Saints, which is still mind-boggling to me how a player had the ankle injury right after the season ended in January, didn't have surgery till June. Now, by the way, was that a, I heard that might have been a second procedure. I have, like, what were the details on that? Because I never actually got into all the Michael Thomas details on, on those surgeries. Because it seemed odd to me, too, that he would wait that long. Yeah, well, remember, he was in and out of the lineup throughout the season. He got hurt in week one, and then he played through it a little bit. Then he missed a few games. Then he returned. And, and then, then he, he shut it down. back for the playoffs because he was on IR. Yeah. And they were with him throughout the postseason. And then their last postseason game was, I think, January 17th or somewhere in that ballpark when they lost to the Bucks. So I think the expectation was he was going to undergo surgery right after that, right? I mean, this is something that was lingering. And instead, they rehabbed it. And it got to the point where clearly the rehab didn't answer the call. It must have still been bothering him. And then he didn't undergo surgery till June. So, John, he goes from an issue being in January to now starting the season on PUP which means that he wouldn't be eligible to come back until the seventh game of the season. I mean, Sean Payton spoke to the media and was furious. You know, I'm not saying he was screaming and yelling, but you could tell there was definitely irritation in his voice. Well, and, you know what? I'm actually reading his quotes now on Pro Football Talk. Sean Payton yeah. does not seem pleased. You're no, absolutely not at all. right. And you should go watch the video because I think the video does it more Probably. justice. Probably. When he was actually answering the question. So, you know, to once again bring this full circle, when the Wentz reports came out, in my mind, I was thinking about Michael Thomas, and I said, yeah. I don't think it sounds good about rehab. Get this guy surgery, fix it. Better for him to miss some games early and then have him for the stretch run, then try to play through it. You're re-aggravated. It gets worse, and then you truly lose him for the season. Because remember, the Colts are in good shape where they have high expectations with that O-line and that running game and that underrated defense. Yeah, Indy could very well pick up where it left off and be in the mix for a playoff spot. So they know they need to solidify that quarterback position. Nick Foles is available. He is, too. It'd be kind of wild if Foles returns <laughs> that's to Wentz territory. Made, that's here why we go I, again. That's why I you made know. the joke. But, but here's the thing. You know, it, it's interesting you brought that up because the other interesting limit, uh, example that I brought up was, if you remember, at 16, Teddy Bridgewater got hurt in camp, and then the Vikings went out and traded for Sam Bradford the year that Wentz was drafted by the Eagles. So we have seen teams go the trade route to perhaps fill the void. But let's say Wentz, as you were doing the math, five weeks, you could perhaps be back for week one. I don't know if you have to be that ultra-aggressive. If I'm Indy, I would like to see what I have in this young group that has no regular season passes. 
Let's see the preseason. You know, let's see what Jacob Eason could do. Let's see what Sam Ellinger has. And if you like it, great. If you don't, you can always explore a trade as teams finalize their 53-man rosters. John, you know, quarterbacks are going to be waived. Guys who they don't want are going to want to be shipped out of town. I don't think Indy's got to hit the press the panic button right now where they have to acquire a quarterback. Not to mention the fact, Lance, that if he happens to miss a few weeks, he might not hit the playing time objectives in that trade with the Eagles, so you only have to convey a second-round pick instead of a first-round pick, which would not be the worst thing in the world for the quotes either, just saying. It wouldn't, but something tells me Frank Reich wants him on the field sooner rather than later. I was just joking. (laughs) I don't think he's worried about a draft pick from a year from now. But that is is an impact for the Giants with the Eagles in the division in terms of whether or not they'll have those three first-round picks next year. So just something to keep in mind here as we move ahead, and now we got a full bank of calls so let's get to your calls but first don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching giant games world-class concerts in 2021 as a giant suite partner limited full season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games call 888-NYG-1925 or visit giants.com slash suites for more information all right let's go to bernie in kingston bernie are you in jamaica right now uh yeah hi how what, you doing what's going on bernie Okay, I got some questions about running back position, backup running back. All right, we have some answers. I do not, under, <laughs> I do not understand why Wayne Goldman is not still on the team. They preferred the Devontae Booker. Was, excuse me? They, they preferred Devontae Booker. I, I don't understand why, though. I mean, the kid was over four yards a carry average. He was a decent blocker. He was a decent pass receiver. He was, had good attitude. You could have got him for much less than you're paying Booker, and I think he's a better back. It's crazy. Well, there's no doubt about it that he had a very productive season. I don't disagree with you, Bernie. You know, I've said many times the Giants had a good run game last year, even without Barkley. People overlooked that because of their offensive struggles because it didn't translate to points. But I think you have to also look at it from Wayne's lens, Bernie. I think you're overlooking that a little bit. Did Wayne want to return? Did Wayne say to himself, Saquon's coming back. I had a productive season. I want to go elsewhere where maybe there's more playing time, more of an opportunity. And there I can't a, and give there, you an answer for that, but I think you're only looking at it from the Giants' perspective and not Wayne's perspective. Yeah, and there is a great opportunity for him in San Francisco, by sure. the way, where they don't have that, that full-time back. Lance is exactly right. And the other thing I'll say too, Bernie, I agree. I think as a runner, he was very productive last year. My guess, and the, Gi- the Giants have been asked this, both Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge many times, and they have not really elaborated on their exact reasoning. My guess is that they probably think Booker is more of a complete three-down player, and they trust him more in pass protection and in the passing game. So that's my guess as to why they probably preferred Booker. Or, to Lance's point, maybe they were willing to you know, bring Goldman back as the backup, and he said, no, I'd, I'd rather go elsewhere. So uh, that's a fair question. I thought he was productive as a runner last year as well, but they they – decided that, or perhaps to Lance's point, maybe you know Wayne decided he'd rather be elsewhere, and Devontae Booker's here instead. I don't know. It just seems very strange to me. But uh, thanks very much for the comments. I appreciate it. No problem. You got anything else All for right, us, Burn? All right, guess not. Enjoy the beaches in Jamaica. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, just to real quickly piggyback off of that, I think if you were to ask me, I would say I think Wayne was thinking more about opportunity. That's, That's what I think it really possible. came down to. And as you mentioned, San Francisco does not have a workhorse. They've got a revolving door of running backs. And I think San Francisco said, hey, Wayne, you know, come here. 
we're not going to just use you as a guy in the event that our starter goes down. We're going to find opportunities for you in every single game. And there's going to be maybe a down or a set of plays that we have you as the guy. I mean, look at what Kyle Shanahan does. He'll use (laughs) games where he's got four or five different running backs that get some carries. Now, it took him a while to get that contract, though, too. So It did. What was like, was Wayne looking for a better deal? He didn't get it. Then he settled. I just have no idea what the conversations were on offers or back and forth between the Giants and Gallman. I don't know that. You don't know that. None of us know that. So it's just hard for me to say for sure. But for Wayne Gallman, if everything is equal, which team gives me a better chance to show I can be a full-time starter? Giants or 49ers? It's undoubtedly the 49ers. I don't think there's any question there. And that's why I go back to the whole opportunity thing. And I also think, you know, Wayne's coming off by far his productive season of his career. Yeah. So I'm sure when he and his agent sat down and they said, do you like the attractiveness of coming back, knowing once again that Saquon is very much the guy? Do you want to revert back to a backup role? Or do you want to put yourself out on the market and see whether or not other teams saw what we saw on film and you're able to go elsewhere. And I do think that, once again, my personal opinion, I do think that entered into the equation. And that was something that the Giants can't force Wayne to feel a certain way. You can have interest in bringing back a player, but you can't go to Wayne and say, Wayne, we know Saquon is still questionable, so we're going to give you X amount of snaps. I don't think the Giants nor Joe Judge was in a position to guarantee Wayne Goldman any playing time. And I think San Francisco was in a position where they could give him that more attractive opportunity. And sometimes it's not about the money. It's about the opportunity, especially for a guy, by the way, coming off a rookie contract. And, John, what do we know about running backs? The shelf life of running backs, it doesn't matter whether you're a pro bowler or not. It's very small. Yeah. So, you know, Wayne, I'm sure, is saying, hey, the clock's ticking on my career. I've got to eventually showcase what I could do so I can make my money. And even if he was going to come back to the Giants, it may have only been a one-year deal. So he says to himself, let me take my chances with San Francisco, get more playing time, and then that maybe could lead to a better deal next year. Got to be honest, though. It's funny. I'm like, I'm... Let's go to Bernie in Kingston. I didn't expect a guy that sounds like he's calling from Staten Island. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, he must be vacationing yes. and listening to the show. Which is, we appreciate. my assumption, unless maybe he does reside in Jamaica. Anything's possible. Oh, is King- I asked him if he was in Jamaica. He said, yes, Pearson. It was, it was Kingston, New York. Okay. Well, that, that makes a lot more sense then, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he answered your question, yes, yes. to being in Jamaica. So that's what I'm I piggybacking know. off of. I Kings- know. Kingston, New York and Kingston, Jamaica are <laughs> yes. very different. Correct. In Though, terms of the environment. I will okay, say. So, so scratch that from the record, whatever yes. commentary I just gave about Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. Though yeah. I, I will say there, there is no better, you know, entertainment listening on the beach in Jamaica than Big Blue Kickoff Live. Are you kidding me? I mean, people Fantastic. even have their phones out in their vehicles listening. Yeah, that's how absolutely. Big. Just we have sh- cornered the market in Kingston, Jamaica when just, it comes to Big Blue Kickoff Live. Yes. Just, just make sure you have that cell signal so you can get it on the app. Enjoy it or get your Wi-Fi dialed up. All right, here we go. 201-939-4513. Let's go back to the phones and say what's up to Peter down in the Florida Keys. Pete, what's going on, man? Hey, how you guys doing? I'm We're great. In a while. What's going on? Excellent. I uh, just had a couple questions for you, and I had a bold prediction, sure. uh, prediction for you after I'm done. Um, so as you guys probably are watching the news, the COVID, uh, it's surging pretty bad down here in Florida. I was wondering, I know that obviously uh, the Giants are still doing testing, I'm just wondering, is there rules from last year that are still in place? Like, can players still opt out this year? Are the 
stadiums at full capacity for for fans. Stadiums, I at least at that. least in New Jersey, the stadiums right now. The plan is to be at full capacity. I do not believe Lance that there was an opt out for players this year. Correct. Well, the opt-out passed. Right, there correct. was a deadline, yes. and it passed. Yes. So, I mean, if you're committed, you're committed for the season, correct. period. Yeah. And I don't – did anyone opt out this year? No, there was nobody Zero, that right? Out. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Nobody opted out. Yeah. Awesome. That's great news. Um, second thing I had for you. So, I was looking at the coaches for the Giants this year, and I saw the O-line coaches, Rob Sale, the assistant, O-line coaches, Wilkerson, and Flats is back as a consultant. Mm-hmm. Do we know – how the responsibilities of the O-line is going to be split up with those three guys? No. Has anybody shed any light on that? Uh, Judge was asked, and he said guys will be – and he even said that, you know, Flaherty and Brady. He also said Freddie Kitchens will be involved in coaching the O-line too, so that's another uh, guy that's in the mix there. He has not, you know, delineated specific responsibilities from all the guys. Because remember, Freddie Kitchens is no longer the tight ends coach. Yep. He swapped positions. He's the senior offensive assistant. Does that sound correct, Lance, to his yes. title? Yes. Pete? Anything else, Pete? Oh, yeah. I know you had a bold <laughs> prediction or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to answer something else, Lance. I was waiting for you. No, there. I was just clarifying why Freddie Kitchens would still be in the mix, yep. as John mentioned. Because I think a lot of people say, wait, isn't Freddie the tight ends coach? But remember, he swapped positions with Derek Dooley. So Derek Dooley is now the tight ends coach, and Kitchens has Dooley's title. That's why. I got you. Cool. Yeah. It sounds like there's like a million coaches on the Giants. Is that normal for teams? Uh, I would say the Giants probably one of the bigger coaching staffs in the league at this point. I, it all varies from teams to teams. Like a, a team like the Patriots traditionally have an extremely small staff, but the Giants yep. added a bunch of kind of assistants this year. And look, there is no salary cap for coaches, right? So if Joe Judge thinks that he can have an advantage by adding a bunch of assistants here that can help in other areas and get the team better prepared, I think that's a smart use of resources if it's needed. Gotcha. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for that. All right. What's your bold prediction? Bold prediction. I feel that Aziz Ojolari is going to lead the team in sacks this year. Okay. I like well, it. Well, they would certainly welcome so. that if that's the case. I, and I don't Heck think it's yeah. impossible. I, think... I, don't, I don't think that's impossible. No. I mean, listen, he was a, a top pass rusher of the SEC, which is the best college conference. Not to say that that's guaranteed that it transfers over, but if the playing time is there. Remember, this goes back to what we talked about, John, all throughout the offseason. We don't know how the snaps are going to yeah, be distributed. Yeah, it's tricky. So, you know, that's the wild card. But I will ask you this as a follow-up. Do you have a number Ooh, for yep. how many sacks you think he's going to have? I was going to ask the same thing. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think he's going to have 11 and a half. Whoa. Wow. Jeez, okay. That's bold. bold. Yeah. I'm you bold. That's bold, man. I, <laughs> that's bold. Wait, so here's the thing. But let me ask another follow-up. So is Leonard Williams going to get double digits, you think, again? Oh, heck no. Absolutely not. Okay, so, so you think what, Leonard's going to take a dip, and then Aziz is oh, just yeah. going to have an unbelievable oh, yeah. coming-out party as a rookie? Absolutely. I think that okay. Central Lance is going to have less snaps I'm sorry. Uh, Leonard Williams is at left snap. Dexter Lawrence is going to get uh, a little bit higher snaps. And I think the sneaky good signing is a Denebo. I think they're yeah, going to play him inside. You. And that push is absolutely going to create much more opportunities one-on-one on the outside. And I think Aziz is going to light it up, to be perfectly honest. We'll so find out. certainly bold. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. Yeah, 11 and a half is a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I would, to me, Lance, I would say... If you want to go for a number that'll lead the Giants in sacks this year, my most likely range is eight to nine. I'm with you. I'm not sure. Look, someone could get to to double digits. You know how it goes for sacks year to year. You can have huge jumps and inflations and things like that. 
But I would say the leader for sacks in the Giants this year will have somewhere between eight and nine and a half sacks, somewhere in that kind of area. Yeah, I think that's a realistic target. Or you could be Hassan Reddick where you have five or six sacks in one game, and then all of a sudden that helps your cause not to uh, bring back some rough memories for the Giants last season. So that's all it takes, remember. And, and that could take your numbers to a place that nobody anticipated. It's, sometimes it's a fluky number. It's a number that comes in stretches as opposed to consistently over the course of a season. You know, very few guys are able to record a sack in, let's say, 12 of the 16 games. And I know we have 17 this year. That's very rare. So if Aziz has a few big games where he's got multiple sacks, yeah, it's not crazy to think that maybe you get eight to nine. But once again, it all goes back to snap count. I do agree with the last caller sentiments. I think Odenabo is that sleeper-esque type of player that I wouldn't be surprised to see make some noise. Uh, I think he showed more than just flashes in Minnesota. I think the biggest issue was the fact that you need to surround Odenabo with talent. You need to allow other guys to get the lanes opened for him. And when he had that in Minnesota, when he had the Everson Griffin, when he had the Daniil Hunters, you saw him capitalize. So, you know, that's going to be a big factor with his season here with the Giants. Does Leonard and Aziz and all these guys stay healthy? Are they consistently on the field? Are they forces? That's when I think Odenabo could take advantage. Let's go to Glenn in Florida at 201-939-4513. Glenn, what's going on? Hi, hey guys. How you guys doing? Doing well. What's up? You're right. Okay, what do you think about Daniel Jones this year? I think it's a very imp- I think it's a very shaking his head. I think it's a very <laughs> important year for him. Obviously, I think mm-hmm. it's it's time for him to to take a jump. The Giants need him to take a jump. I think aside from the counting stats last year, and obviously the touchdown throws were not where you wanted them to be, uh, he made a lot of improvements, specifically on cutting his turnover-worthy plays, sacks and fumbles, almost in half. It went from like 32 to 17, I think. If, if my memory serves me right on the PFF stats, his completion percentage went up a little bit. And I just thought he was very poor in the red zone. And the team generally was very poor in the red zone. The Giants, according to sharp football analysis, played literally the toughest or the second toughest defensive schedule of any team in the league last year. I think that probably impacted his overall counting stats. And his deep pass last year was one of the most accurate in the league, according to PFF. So I think when you look at Jones this year, you look for continued improvement in protecting the football. While last year was better, it's still not where you want it to be. Make a few more big plays. Be a little bit more aggressive throwing the ball down the field. Continue to be more efficient, but also add in some more of those explosive plays that he had in his rookie year back into his repertoire. So more big plays, fewer negative plays. I think that'll go a long way towards Jones kind of solidifying himself as the type of top 12, 15 quarterback that you want if you want to commit to a player like that long term. Lance, you think I missed anything there? No, I think that pretty much summarized everything. The only thing I would add is, you know, his overall decision-making, which pretty much contributes Mm -hmm. to a lot of the factors, meaning it's not a bad or terrible thing to take a sack if the pressure breaks down and the offensive line doesn't hold up. Don't try to extend the play if there's nowhere to go with the football. Throw it away. Negative plays here or there that you take, you can live to see another down. So I think that's part of the developmental phase. But, you know, as John, as you hit on, I think if – you could get Daniel back to that two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio that he had his rookie year. I think that would be a huge step in the right direction. But you know, keep in mind, Daniel's coming from a number where he had just over 10 touchdown passes. If you really are thinking that 
he's going to get to the 30s this year. Hey, if he does, kudos to him. That would be fantastic. But I think realistically, based on NFL history, very rare that somebody goes plus 20 in NFL touchdown passes. So I think 28 would be maybe the ceiling. And if he could get in that ballpark, once again, have that 2-1, to 24-12 to 12 ratio, which he had as a rookie, I think that would be a huge stride for this Giants offense. I agree. Awesome. Thank you right. very much for the call. I think that, that, that thing, that's kind of what we're looking at for Daniel Jones coming up this year. And, you know, I think, you know, it's hard to kind of put it into words, too. I think just more consistency, right, Lance, from game to game, even in his rookie year, when he had those few really monster games, it was kind of a roller coaster ride, right? Oh, yeah. Like, it was awesome. And then, oh, boy, that's not very good. Oh, it's awesome again. That was a problem. So I think if you want to be a little bit more consistent week to week, you can throw that into the mix, too. Uh, I think continuing to be a factor in the running game like he was last year is something else that helps. You know, you talked about how the Giants' running game last year was effective even after Barkley went out. I think a big part of that was Daniel Jones being somebody the defense had to account for Sure. Even on traditional running plays, will he keep it and go? That keeps that backside defender an extra second or so before you can commit to that primary running tack and, and running lane on the other side of the field. So that's part of it. You know, and I think it's just a feel, right? When you're watching the game, and, and it really comes down to this. Like, you want to go nuts and bolts here? What has to happen? The best quarterbacks in the league, Lance, when it's third and long, you, you still feel good about things, right? You, you get the third and eight, you have Patrick Mahomes. You're not that nervous. You're a third and eight, you have Aaron Rodgers. You're like, all right, I think he can go make a play here. And those are the quarterbacks that, to me, are really difference makers. The guys that can take an offensive possession where you have a false start, where you have a sack on first down, and you're in a third and 12. But you know what? You can still go out there and get a first down and be a quarterback you can trust to go out there and make a play in situations that aren't ideal. You know, can Jones become that guy? And there's no stat for that, but that's a feel that you get from watching. If you want to throw the analytics away and you just want to go talk about feel, can Jones become that guy that can put the offense on his back and doesn't need everything around him working perfectly for him to be effective? Can he do the things that these other quarterbacks do and everything else around him is not right but still be explosive, productive, make the offense move and score points. Like, that really is what your ultimate objective is. There aren't many quarterbacks that can do that, but that obviously is the goal for all of them. Now, the improvement to the talent around him, you would assume will help that cause a of little course. bit too because you need the playmakers. But I think what you're referring to is those above the X's and O's type of plays Thank you. where you just you put the key in the ignition and you make something happen. And it may not be the smoothest road for you to carry that out. Yeah, can he do that? Now, the one thing I want to add about the running component, and I'm with you, I do think defenses have to account for him, help the Giants have a consistent run game even without Saquon. But given his injury history, John, he also has to walk that fine line because Daniel has missed at least two games each of his first two seasons in the NFL. Don't be afraid to slide, Lance. You yeah. can run. Don't be, you know, Russell Wilson never gets hit, right? He runs. Dude yeah. never gets hit. Because here's the thing, John, Patrick Mahomes has taken some hits over the last few seasons, and you know what? As a result, you know, he's missed some time. Didn't so he have even the post, great ones. He had a postseason surgery this year, right? In his ankle, Mahomes? Am I right about that? I or last so. year did he have post he had postseason surgery one of the last two years. I don't remember which one. 
Well, but it was maybe it wasn't this year. It was I think two years ago. Remember he went for a touchdown at the goal line against I think it was the Broncos, and he got hurt. Remember he suffered a knee injury. I think his yep. knee got dislocated, if I'm correct, oh and then it did. Okay, sort I of fell back that. in place. Uh, you might be right. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Yo, I think I do remember that now that you're bringing it up. Yep. And this yeah. year and though, then, uh, if, he had the ankle. In the, correct. He had, the, he had the ankle in the Super Bowl this year where he couldn't move around as well. Too, correct. 100%. That was the other yeah. injury. Mm-hmm. Yes, that he had that limited him. And two years ago, I think it was Matt Moore who was on the team that came in and filled in. They had Chad Henney. That's right. Past season so yeah the Kansas City's had to turn to some guys not named Patrick Mahomes and hey fortunately they were able to overcome that but if Patrick Mahomes could go down in the blink of an eye then absolutely anyone else in the NFL can do that too so I think that's where you got to be careful about how aggressive you want to be one other thing I want to add before we get to some more phone calls John we brought up red zone at least you referring to it just to provide some context here the Giants finished Second to last in the NFL in red zone efficiency. It was at just 46%. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, bad. The Jets were the worst team at 42%. Okay, Everybody else was 50% or higher in the NFL. And what is why it's not a surprise? Who had the two worst scoring offenses in the NFL uh, last year? I was going to say. Well, it was the Giants and the Jets. So, you know, those things are synonymous with one another. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this one out. They have to translate some of the big plays that they made in the middle of the field that helped them get to the red zone, they now have to punch it in. And that goes back to, John, also what you were talking about, about does the quarterback give you the feel of, hey, even if things go wrong, he can make up for it? What we saw, I think, last season, and we've seen in years past, even going back to Eli Manning, the Giants were the type of team where they get in the red zone and you have a false start and you have a holding penalty, right? And then they're knocked out of the red zone. You, you never got that feel that they'd be able to overcome that. And as a result, they had to settle for a field goal or a turnover and things just all of a sudden unraveled. They have to get over that hump, the Giants, because that was something that still plagued them last season. The fundamentals, are they going to show up when you need them the most, when the small area that you have to function within doesn't give you the freedom to spread everybody out wide and do your thing. You know, that to me is going to tell an awful lot about what this Giants offense could do this season. And I think that was a big reason they wanted to add Galladay and, and Rudolph, right? Rudolph, because yes, they, absolutely. They, they thrive in those type of situations. And I brought this up on Pro Football Focus, and I sorted out Jones's stats last year between the 20-yard line and the goal line and the end zone for lack of a better play. So this should be all the red zone plays. I'm not sure if it counts the passes that wind up in the red zone or not. So maybe like a pass from the 30 that winds up inside the 20. Either way, these are plays that are close to the end zone, right? So last year, Jones on those plays was just 37 to 72, 182 yards, seven touchdowns and three interceptions. That has to get better if the, sure. if the Giants want to score more. The other thing I'll say too, if you want to throw out some of the analytics and numbers and just talk about feel. The other thing I like, I think you like to see from Jones this year is just show he has a little bit better feel for escapability in the pocket, and that combines a few different factors, right? That's feeling the rush, then being able to escape quickly and make a play while you're on the move. Because while he can run Lansing, he's athletic, we don't see many of those on the move, avoid the rush, make something out of nothing type of throws, which goes back to your playing above the X's and O's point. And I think that's part of it, too, here, where those are the type of plays you get that can change a game, and you're turning what should be or could be a negative play into a positive one, which is something that I think a lot of the great quarterbacks do. So I think that's something else you kind of keep an eye on here as you evaluate Jones for this season. 
Yeah, Joe. there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of factors, and I think you and I, our conversation alone, for anybody to say that it's one thing that Daniel Jones and the offense have to do, it's much more convoluted and complex than that. And again, I think the red zone stuff has a lot to do with the defense of the play last year too, Lance, because when you're playing really good defenses, it's tough to put the ball in the end zone on those teams, especially in the red zone, because they're good. And, sure. with the, and with the compressed field, it gets even more difficult. Well, but I would say, no, I think that's a fair point, John. And once again, they're going to be tested with some strong defenses this oh, year. Oh, so, oh, by the way, you know, you know how he said, you know, Warren Sharp said last year they placed the, the, the second hardest defensive schedule? He has them playing the hardest defensive schedule well, this there you year. Go. Okay. So it doesn't get any easier. You're absolutely right. Well, and, and that's why I wanted to emphasize that because I know a lot of people, when they hear you say that, oh, well, things will get a little bit easier this season. No, nope. that's not necessarily the case. And, Broncos, and Washington, Rams, yeah, go down Especially the early in the season. Yeah. Uh, Dolphins. Denver right away. Bears. Yeah. yeah. But what I wanted to add is I think also this is a common problem, I would argue, in the NFL in general. And most coaches will tell you, when you get in the red zone, which is defined as inside the 20-yard line, but you know there are some possessions where you make a big play and you get down at the 10. So your red zone possession, technically, John, starts inside the 10, not inside the 20. Right. You, know, you have to categorize those things differently. My point is, and I saw this with the Steelers last season. It frustrated the hell out of me just being a football fan. Couldn't run it they in, have right? possessions. <laughs> well, it may have impacted the fantasy team, too. So let's be at least... So, Somewhat truthful. So, someone was starting James Conner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, I got to the semis, and then I lost to my co-host. Don't get me started, but anyway. So, in, a, in a very tight matchup, by the yes, way, that went down was, to the wire. Yeah, which I'll continue to revisit until Hello? we start this season because yes. I need to get that memory out of my head. <laughs> Can't wait for our draft, but that's a whole other story once yes, again. But it is. I digress in getting yes. back to the topic at hand. When they were in the 10 and you would have – Ben Roethlisberger attempt passes. Yeah. I mean, there were some possessions where they wouldn't even run the football. And you're saying to yourself, listen, as great as Ben is, as polished of a veteran quarterback he is, the amount of space that you have to throw the ball up to chase Claypool and all their other weapons, the defenses have a better feel for what you're going to do. So it's a common issue for all NFL teams. You don't have the amount of space that you would like. So, therefore, you have to be able to run the football, and you can't afford to make those mistakes that then back you up because you should be able, if you're needing to go six yards and you have three or four opportunities to do that, there's no reason why you shouldn't have some success on the ground under those circumstances. One other note, too, Lance, in terms of the analytics of it, while they say the running game isn't as valuable, the one place even the most staunchest analytics guys talk about the run game being very efficient and a, and a good use of resources and a, a good time to call plays is in short yardage in the red zone, which is to your exact point because it's tougher to pass the ball in those situations. And in goal to go and in short yardage, running the ball is actually extremely efficient. Like The, the analytics don't say throw it on third and one. <laughs> they say run it on third and one. That's your best chance of yeah. gaining that yard. So... 100% right, agree, and getting that running game uh, more consistent or as consistent as it was last year is probably the best solution to being a better red zone team, putting the passing game aside. All right, let's go back to the phones. You guys have been patient. We got off on a bit of a tangent there, but I think it was a good one. 201-939-4513. Len in Columbia, Maryland's been on the longest, and then we'll get to CJ in the Bronx right after that. Len, what's going on? Hey, guys, how you doing? Doing great. All right, Len. You 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 were off on the tangent, but that was a great discussion. Oh, thank you. I was enjoying sitting here on my porch listening to you guys talk about football. It was a good listen. Good listen. It isn't Jamaica, uh, but it's something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> listen, uh, in reference to the uh, call from our friend in the Keys about coaching staff size, uh, ju just a reminder that in 1956, when we won a world championship, 
we had four assistant coaches. Of course, two of them were named Lombardi and Landry, and they may have made up for about five or eight other coaches. Yeah, they're not but, bad. Um, yeah, <laughs> not bad. Okay, coaches. Um, and, you know, in the end, you can have 50 people on your staff. As long as everybody knows what their job is and who they report to and where decision-making authority resides. And I just want to take exception to something you said earlier, John. What's that? Um, with, with, with regard to that call, when you said, um, you know, the offensive coaches or the line coaches, the four guys involved, uh, you know, they may be still working it out. I, I doubt that, John. Oh, I no, no, Len, Len, honestly, I didn't realize I said that. I, I did not mean to intend that. Boy, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that they know exactly what their roles are. Oh, what, yeah. I, what I was yeah. trying to say, and maybe I misspoke, we don't know what their yeah. individual roles are. I'm sure they have a handle on it, absolutely. I apologize for misspeaking yeah. if that's what I said. No, no, that's okay, but I needed you to hear that. I needed you to say that no, last of course. sentence. No, of course, absolutely. Of course, they know. They just may not have told us. Yeah, exactly, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, on, on the additions over the, over the last few days, geez, I think the team got better. Um, you know, I like some of these ads. I think Davis is going to help us at linebacker. Um, and, you know, Looney uh, is going to help us along that offensive line now. You know, we're not talking about all pro players, but we are talking about guys who've been around this league and in some cases have played in playoff games and have started in playoff games. So, these, I mean, we had some pretty good players, guys who know their way around the system. And I was pleased to see that. And even Morris coming back, I suspect with Morris, there's probably been some agreement that, look, if you don't make the 53, we're going to find work for you. Uh, on that practice squad, and sometime during the season, we may be able to use it. Well, I think uh, with, know, with, with, yeah, with those expanded uh, yeah. roles on the practice squad now, having more of those veteran guys like last year, Len, I think, yeah. I don't know if there's any promises been made, but the idea of having a veteran running back that you can trust on the practice squad, I think, becomes very, very attractive if you have room for them on that in that group. Now, the one, uh, two, two guys that you, that you didn't talk about, uh, one we actually didn't sign, but first the wide receiver, and I'm, I'm kind of pleased that you didn't spend any time talking about that addition, because I'm 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 not a big fan of signing veteran wide receivers who have played more games than they have catches. Who'd I miss? Uh, I mean, I, well, you're talking about Damian uh, Willis. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Willis. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just never been a big fan of that. And we've done that a couple of times in the past, but so be it. The other one, talk about the quarterback that we didn't sign. I was, I was kind of pleased that we brought another quarterback in, if for no other reason that we needed another arm in camp. I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, John. And he is a veteran. I'm, I don't know. He signed with Seattle, so maybe Seattle threw more money at him. But do you think that's a sign that maybe we're, we're, we're looking for another quarterback? Put a little pressure on Thorson, a little pressure on Glennon? Um, I don't think you're pressuring Mike Glennon. I think you kind of know that he's going to be your backup. Are they, they maybe looking for some competition for that third spot? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, so you see they may be it. You know, he's going to be a third-string quarterback the way you just described it. But you, you wouldn't be surprised if they brought another guy in. I mean, I, honestly, Len, I don't know. I mean – Teams rotate those third quarterbacks a lot. My guess is that if they bring a quarterback in, I don't think at this point Thorson would go anywhere. If they were going to make yeah. a move at quarterback because they weren't happy with Thorson, I think that probably would have happened before camp started, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's yeah. how I look at it. And, and quite frankly, 
If you look back at Garrett's experience with Dallas and Lance, you can c- confirm this for me. That Dallas went a lot of years. They didn't even carry three quarterbacks, and they just carried two. So that, that's why it's not a super big concern for me, to be totally honest with you, because if you get to the point where that third quarterback's going to play, we are in a whole, <laughs> in a yeah. whole lot of trouble here, folks. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm going to go back to a great quote. Uh, Lance, who was the Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator in, in, uh, for the Colts for a long time? Oh, yeah, he's with the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I forget uh, I his name. Uh, he's an Gray-haired older guy. Yes, yeah. heavy set, older. I forget his name. Anyway, he, he had a great quote. He was asked a question. Tom Moore. Like, Tom Moore, thank you. Yes. He was asked a question when's at a media availability. He said, you know, you know, Tom, you know, Peyton, is such con- Peyton Manning has such control of your offense, and he makes all these calls. What do you do if Peyton Manning gets hurt? Do you guys, like, practice that? And he goes, guys, if Peyton Manning gets hurt, we're <laughs> blanked. And we don't practice being blanked. That's what he said to the media. So that's how I look at obsessing over who the Giants' third quarterback is going to be. Well, well, there you go. And with regard to, the, regard to our team, the Giants, uh, you, you could probably say the same thing about the second quarterback because as you guys spent a long time answering another caller's question, and it was really pretty good, um, and, and maybe to sum up what you said, geez, it's all about Daniel. Oh, my goodness. Sure. I mean, to me. It's always about I mean, the quarterback, Land. It's yeah, always yeah, about yeah, the well, quarterback. Well, that's true. Well, there's some truth to that. But, um, I, I mean, he's got to take big strides this year. Uh, now, you're, you're over under on Daniel. Just, just one more point, and then I'll get off the line. Sure. Um, I think you had him at 29.5 in terms of touchdown pass. 29.5 was over under for him for touchdown passes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Geez, he had 11 last year. That is, that is, I know it was only yeah, but he, he, 14, he did game, have 20, only 14 games, but holy cow, he had John, 24, that's a big leap. He had 24 the year before, though. True, true. Um, hey, I hope he gets the 29, because I think, I think uh, I'll, go, I'll go out on a limb well, here. Well, they're going to need him to get uh, if, the 20. If, if, <laughs> if, if, they're going to need at least 20, 20 touchdowns. I would hope he gets – if, if we get the December, like, 29th year, we're heading into, like, that Chicago Bears game on January 2nd, and he's not at 20 yeah. touchdowns, we have a lot of problems. So let's just leave <laughs> it at that. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just going yeah, to sum it up by saying if he gets the 20 – Ah, it looks like we lost. Yeah, it looks Len, like we man. lost. That's all right. Him, yeah, Lane. Good stuff. I understand where you're going with that. Let's... Well, I think the phone company realized that there's bigger issues based <laughs> on what Lane was saying. All right, let's, okay. let's wrap up the. Let show. that be a sign, okay? <laughs> Len, good call. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. CJ in the Bronx will wrap us up today. What's up, CJ? Good afternoon, guys. What's going on? Um, I'm calling. Well, one congratulations. Two hundred episodes on the huddle. I downloaded everyone from Peter Strager. All the way down to Daniel Jones. Oh, thank you, CJ. That's great. I appreciate that. I, I, I've been I've been listening to the anything that's put up. I download automatically. In the history of that, every year there's something the coach says that gets me nervous. <laughs> I haven't found that situation with um, Coach Judge yet, and that's a good thing. Yep. He so far they bring in competition for um, not competition. Nick Gates is really not going to be competition, but he'll help him out. I'm still nervous because you know how we had Ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo said he's going to focus on the defense. We brought you in for offense. Sherman got a little testy with the news media. I can't blame him for that. Our media people are annoying. But you can't do that in New York. Joe Judge had an interview with um, actually Peter Strager on the Flying Giants, uh, yep. Flying Coast thing. Yep, it was great. It yep. was a really good interview. Yep. It was a really good interview. I'm like, okay, good. And I like how this team's looking because I, 
the thing I had a problem with Sherman, waste Lorenzo Carter and BJ Tills first two years. And I feel like Carter's gonna have a good year, but we're gonna have a really good draft pick with when the Bears have their season. Like when we see them week seventeen, let's have a good year. I, but you know, I'm still waiting for that moment to be like, ah, oh, you shouldn't have said that. The Cardinal thing last year, the Cardinal game last year, might be his only blemish for me so far. But so far, so good. Let's 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 continue growing these players. I can't wait. Yeah, it's almost time to go. Have a good day, guys. Hey, appreciate the call, right, man. Hey, look, you should be excited. You know, you, look, and here's the beauty of it. It's excitement, Lance, but if you're a fan, and, you know, me and you root for teams in other sports, we got into this because we're fans, right? If you don't have, like, that kind of quasi-nervousness and anxiety heading into a season, you know, you get that because you care and you want things to go well. You know, that's that's kind of part of the fun of all this, no? Sure. I mean, it always keeps you at the edge of your seat, but I think there's always optimism at the beginning of every season for most teams in general. Or at least hope. Or at least hope. you reset, right? Right. I mean, you got the reset button. Everybody's got a fresh slate. So, I mean, every fan for every team should feel good, but you're going to really separate the men from the boys once we actually start playing meaningful games. And all of the stuff that we've talked about and speculated – then you're going to see whether or not it translates to the field. That's always going to be the true test. But, yes, if you want to feel good because you listen to a press conference and you feel good about what a coach says, that's great. And I'm not going to stand in the way of an individual. You like what a player said or how he interacts with the media. That's great. But, you know, once again, I, I've said this time and time again, it's nothing pertaining specifically to the Giants. Nobody wins games in the media, okay? At the end of the day, everyone in this league is judged by what they do on the field. We go crazy over introductory coach press conferences. I don't understand why we do. People like to make bold declarations. This guy wowed me, got in front of the podium. He said this, I want to run through a wall. And then three seasons later, that team's finding a new coach. So, you know, we got a little ease down a little bit in terms of press conferences. But, no, people should feel good because of what the Giants did with their personnel and how they have continuity. Those, I think, are the two most encouraging things. You got your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinators are back. You got these players. Everybody has talked about how they're much more comfortable now compared to where they were at this time last year. Those are all good things because those, you could say, provide a foundation to what you could transfer over to the field. I wanted to bring up two other things, John, real quickly before we wrap Mm -hmm. up, if you don't mind, about what Len had mentioned. Number one, they can always add a polished quarterback on the practice squad. So it really doesn't matter whether or not you carry three, four, two right now. They could wind up, once they finalize the 53-man roster, you could bring in a veteran, you put them on the practice squad. In case you're unaware of the rules, 16-player practice squad, up to six guys who have more than two accrued seasons. So that's six spots for veterans, essentially. That's what I was referring to with maybe if Alfred Morris doesn't make the 53, he'd go back to the practice squad. Number two. He brought up Damian Willis and the fact that he's played in more games than he had catches, and that's a red flag for Lent. Don't ask me why this is a pet peeve of his, but whatever. (laughs) So Willis played in 10 games with the Bengals in 2019. He had nine catches. I look at snap count, John, which is what you and I were talking about, right, when we were bringing up Aziz Ojolari. Willis played 18% of the snaps for the Bengals that year. Can we at least look beyond just the box score when we evaluate these players? And he was barely in action in 2020. He was briefly, I believe, with the Jaguars practice squad, and he never actually caught on with the team. So you're talking about a guy with a very, very limited sample size, and by the way, even just, with Cincinnati. Just for the record, he played in 10 games, and he had 200 snaps. So that's about 20 per game, which yeah. is not a lot. No, not at all. 
So, I mean, that to me is more of a factor than you say he played in 10 games and he had nine catches. Well, of those 10 games, how many snaps did the guy play? And it's just you could have 10 appearances, and John, you right. may only play on special teams. Right. So how do I evaluate you as a wide receiver if you barely ran out there on offense? Yeah, well, you know, that's true, 100%. <laughs> now, all 200 of those snaps were on offense, though, and 39 were on special teams, looking at the uh, pro football reference. But your point being here, Lance, it's only one year, too. It's not like that was something that happened over a three- or four-year period, and it's a trend. For a guy in his first year for that to happen, it's not that big of a deal. And Len should be pumped. He weighs 204 pounds. Len <laughs> loves the guy. He's not 170. And he's 6'3", right, by the way. It's right so up Len's alley. Too, yeah. Come on. And he can't teach height. So, you know, we know that. That's been well documented. Well, you especially. Well, I mean, listen. I am an outlier for many different reasons. Well, that is true. So. For many, <laughs> in many different ways, you're an outlier. Yes, so I will true. gladly admit that. And I will wear that badge of honor. <laughs> yes. yes. Want to call it honor, and and let's be honest. I mean, at the end of the day, they're looking to try to increase the level of competition on the back end of the roster. The sure. Giants know who their top four wide receivers are. Yep. If the question is, who's number five, who's number six? So there's no harm in bringing in a guy. And by the way, is there going to be a number six? Which we that, don't Well, know. that's another yeah. million-dollar question, of course. Yeah. yeah. No, 100%. Lance, good stuff, my friend. Absolutely enjoyed it. We're at 2 p.m. all week here on Big Blue Kickoff Live as we head into training camp week number two. Stay tuned to coverage on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and, of course, the archive of this show and all of our podcasts, including the aforementioned Giants Huddle podcast, can be found on your favorite podcast platforms. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you on Tuesday at 2 for another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Until then.